0: welcome everyone so glad you're here my name is Luke if this is your first time uh, man we are just grateful you're here we've been working through the book of Malachi for the last few weeks and I want to bring this to your radar so that you're aware of it for one but two so you can begin to invite people or think of people that maybe God puts in your mind for this I um, We have probably three or four weeks left in Malachi, and after the first of the year, I'm going to do a seven-week series kind of talking about the foundations of the faith and some questions that people, really, if you've grown up in church your whole life, or maybe you've never been in church and this is your first day ever, there seem to be questions on some of these topics, such as, what is the Trinity? What is salvation, justification, and sanctification, baptism, prayer, commission, what is it? to make disciples, to do evangelism. What is that? The Bible, and lastly, spiritual warfare. So that's kind of the next series that is coming before we launch into our next book, because I really feel like it's going to be an important series for us as a church to really understand the foundations of the Christian faith. Raise your hand if you have the Trinity figured out. Oh, there's one in the back. I'm going to keep my hand down because I know I'm a pastor, but I don't have him figured out. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how all of that works together as one. And just these issues that I think as we move forward as a church are going to be critical in understanding the heart and the character of God. But not only that, I'm hoping that it will be a reference as this church begins to move forward and we begin to find and, and see people find freedom in Christ, that it would be a great reference point for them as they begin their faith and their walk with God. So I bring that up to say this. Begin thinking of maybe someone that you know who has a question on the Trinity. be a great place to bring them. Spiritual warfare, what is it? I believe God's going to do something incredible through this series as we continue to build our foundation as a church and then launch into our next book after that. So, so glad you guys are here. Uh, There was a man who was putting in for a state lottery for a lot of years. This lottery would build every year, and he believed that he was going to win it, but every year it failed, and he did not. He kept telling people, man, if I win this lottery, I'm going to give a quarter of it back To the church, I'm so excited because I'm gonna give a quarter of it back because God has blessed me with it. So he goes to his pastor and he says, Man, I'm gonna when I win this lottery, get ready, because I'm gonna donate a quarter of it back. And his pastor kinda laughs to himself and thinks, Yeah, well that that's great, that'll cover the last twenty five years, right? And so he just kind of puts it on his back burner. And this guy comes back and he says, man, this is the year. God showed it to me. This is the year. I'm going to win the lottery. And lo and behold, a couple weeks later, this guy comes back to his pastor. He calls him and he says, man, you're not going to believe it. God is so good. I have won the lottery. There's $5 million in it. And grateful you can be, you're going to get a quarter of it. And the pastor's like, oh, that's great. I'll believe it. So he says, well, get the tax deduction sheet ready because whenever I bring it in, I want it deducted, yada, yada. So he comes in and he says, man, God is so good. I'm giving a quarter of it back. God is so good that he's allowed me to keep 4999999 and 75 cents." Where's my deduction sheet? Right? You laugh because it is lighthearted, but sometimes it's, oh, so true. We're like, oh, God, I I love you and I want to give to you, but anything that doesn't cost some sacrifice or anything that really doesn't put me out of the lifestyle that I want to live. A Wells Fargo uh, survey recently found that 44% of Americans see personal finances as the most challenging topic to discuss with others. More so, get this, than death, politics, and religion, which is quite a bold statement. (laughs) And despite the fact that money is the leading cause of stress in most relationships, and in fact, it's often the leading cause in divorce, Time Magazine reports that 40% of couples don't even discuss how they would manage finances before marriage. And then they say the repercussions of not talking about finances can be severe, and they say it has a negative consequence on health, wealth, and happiness. Common Sense Lab, sense as in C-E-N-T-S, put out a study, and they made this quote, in our interviews, we frequently encounter individuals that accumulate crippling debt, miss opportunities to save, and are unaware of basic financial strategies that would improve their well-being. Often, they say, because they are embarrassed to ask their friends and family for advice about money, And then they say this, research is clear that good things come from being open and discussing money. So why is money this big stressful topic and why does it always deal with unhappiness and stress and we don't have enough and it causes divorces and it it has this effect that really is negative in so much of life. And here's my question, could it be because we are not honoring our finances in the way that God has laid it before us to do it, could it be that we're not being obedient to give back to Him what is not ours to begin with? Because as we're going to see this morning, there is a great promise that God makes. In fact, it's an impressive promise, and to wrap your mind around it, we really cannot because He says this. If you will bring to me what is mine, watch, and I will open the windows of heaven and pour forth blessing until there is no more need. And he says, test me in it and see if I am true. See, could it be that this money thing has less to do with embarrassment and the fear of talking about it, And more to do with the fact that we aren't doing it God's way. God, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you that your word refines, as we saw last week, how you are soap, fire, and redemption. And all that you do in that, God. And often one of the ways that you refine us is through finances. And God, I'm just grateful for your word because... This is not a message of guilting anyone to give. You provide for your church and you provide abundantly, God. But God, my hope in this message is that we would be a people that walk out of here and see the fullness of your plan so that we might walk, so that we might experience the blessing that you choose, that you desire to pour forth upon us if we will bring to you what is yours. God, I pray this morning that this can be a difficult topic. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, God. God, this is your words and not mine. I'm just the messenger of what you have revealed to us, God. And so I just pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would do things that I cannot do. And that you would make us a people that are obedient. That you would make us a people that trust you and watch as you respond to your promises. God, we love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6 this morning. If you, this is your first time, you can catch up on messages online, like Marcus said, or we're on all major podcasts, uh, wherever you want to check that out, uh, you can go check that out. But this morning, we're in verse 6, and it says this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This word change, I want us to understand it. It's a verb that we see other places in scripture. It's the same word used of David when he changed his sense or he pretended to be crazy for the fear of the Philistines. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 21. It's also used of Jeroboam's wife changing or disguising her appearance to gain information from a prophet. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 14. And it's also interesting because it's used of Israel opportunistically, yeah, that word, opportunistically, there it is, see, I can say it, changing their allegiance from Assyria to Egypt depending on what seemed to bring them the most advantage at the time, and we see that in Jeremiah 2.0. Here's what God is saying, essentially, is that he does not become someone he is not in order to gain an advantage like other people do. He's constant to who he is. He's saying this, when he makes a promise, when he says, hey, I will do this, if you do this, he means it, and we can take it to the bank. That's what he means. Psalm 89.34 says this of God, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. What an astonishing promise. See, God is saying he did not consume Israel or that allow them to be destroyed because he promised them that he would not. He does not change. He responds to his promise. And when he says something, it is always yes and amen. Verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then God says, will man rob God? Yet are you not robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions, which we're going to see there's a difference You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then God says this, and don't miss this, because you want to talk about something that is astounding and mind-blowing. It's right here. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. House and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until what? There is no more need. These are not my words, these are God's words. These are the God of heaven saying, Just bring to me what is mine. And test me in it. And see if I run from my promises, if I change. But you will see that I do not because I cannot change. It is not in my nature. When I make a promise, I fulfill it. It's interesting. He says, from the days of your fathers, at the time this was written, this was basically Israel, had been running and rebelling from God for about a thousand years. A thousand years of disobedience sounds very similar to us. See, by turning from the Lord's commandments, they had not just turned from the Lord himself. Man cannot follow God without obedience to his word, which is to be carefully heeded to avoid stumbling and turning from him. The Israel was in this place where like, well, that's great, God. We can serve you, but we're not going to bring this. We're not going to offer you our first fruits. We're going to bring you everything that's left over, and then we're going to ask for your blessing. That's what Israel had done. And that's what I have done so often in my life. Hey, God, here's everything that I have left over. Will you just bless the rest? hey, God, I'm going to keep this to live the lifestyle that I want, but then please bless my business and bless everything else. So they were believing the lie that they could follow him on their terms and not his, and then expect blessing. So God gives two imperatives. An imperative in Scripture is a command. It's not a recommendation. It's not like up for discussion or negotiation. And he says two things in this text that are imperatives that are commands. One is return, and two is bring. So as we walk through this, I want to walk through what does it mean to return, and what does it mean to bring? Because hear this, it's different than give, and we're going to discuss it in a little bit. Return involves a renewal of loyalty to the Lord. He calls them to return wholeheartedly, not leaving part of their heart here and taking the other part here, but to return to him wholeheartedly. Don't believe me? Jeremiah 24, 7. God says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with what? Part of their heart. No. No. They will return to me with their whole heart, with every part of their being. They will return to me. Verse 8, they say, how are we robbing? And God could have said, by your so-called worship that we saw in chapter 1, verse 4. He could have said, by your treachery against one another, as we saw in chapter 2, verse 10. Or especially your treachery against your wives, 3, 5. He could have said, by profaning the Lord's sanctuary, by your marriage to pagan idolaters, chapter 2. Or he could have said, your toleration of sorcery, adultery, perjury, and economic exploitation of the defenseless, chapter 3. But he did not. He said, here's how you're robbing me. You're withholding your tithes and your offerings. See, Israel's attitude towards the use of their possessions was one indication of the health of the relationship with God. It's the reality of it. Our heart is tied to those things that we hold closely. He says, you have robbed me by not offering, by not bringing your tithes or offerings. So what's a tithe? Well, it literally means tenth part. And it wasn't just in regard to money. It had to do with flocks and land as well. We can see it in Leviticus 27 that they were to tie a tenth of their land, that they were tithe to tie the tenth of their livestock, their stock. It wasn't just money. God's saying everything, essentially what he's saying, everything you possess is not yours. You do not own it. I own it, and I have given it to you to steward it well. So all I'm asking is that you bring back to me a tenth of what is actually mine. That's what he was saying. He said, it's all mine. The Old Testament mentions land over a thousand times, which is crazy. And usually it is in regard to Canaan, the land that God was going to promise, that he did promise to bring his people into. And it was treated as almost central to the covenant of God. But hear this. Although God gave them the land as an inheritance, he made it very clear that it was not their land. They were stewards of his land. They, Israel, were merely aliens and tenants. Don't believe me? Leviticus 25, 23 the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine says the Lord for you are strangers and sojourners with me. See the human tendency is to disconnect the gift from the giver. Deuteronomy 6 God says basically that he offered he gave them everything. It was all his. It was all his. None of it was theirs. They were stewards of it in Israel like us have a tendency to believe that everything we have been given is ours and that we own it rather than the reality that God owns it all and we are stewards of it. There's a huge difference. See, possessions have this seductive ability to make us feel as if we actually own everything that we possess or everything that our name is attached to. All of our assets are ours. Everything we've worked to gain, every asset, everything is ours. But the problem is, when we feel as if we own it, we begin to protect and hoard it. Why? Because we think it's ours. And God is saying, it's not yours. I've entrusted it to you. I have given it to you so that you might enjoy it, but it is not owned by you. It is owned by by me. Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18 says this, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is in this day. Here was Israel, They did not realize this. They did not acknowledge that they were stewards of it. So they were hoarding it all. And what was the result? God said that he laid a curse upon them, upon their possessions. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not destroy the fruits of your soil or your vine or your field. Shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then the nations will call you blessed for you will be in a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So in verse 9, we say we see that God said, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And then he says, but if you will bring it back to me, if you will just start now, if you will come and give me what is mine, I will bless it, and every nation will look at you and say, man, Israel is blessed, and I will prosper your Crops, I will prosper the things that I have given to you. Watch me, test me in it, that if you will be obedient, I will break open the windows of heaven and bestow blessing upon everything that I have given you. See, here's the deal in verse 10. We see that God says there is a reverse to the curse. There is a reverse to pulling away all this stuff and hoarding it. And he said, here's the reverse. Offer to him, Bring to me what is mine and test me in it and watch and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour forth blessing until there is no more need. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I want to see two things that this text says to us about what God is saying. And the first is this. We are stewards and not owners. There's a big difference. See, it is robbery when someone takes for themselves something that they do not own. What is robbery according to the American Heritage Dictionary? It says this, the act or an instance of unlawfully taking the property of another. Essentially, to rob someone, you must take something that does not belong to you. So when God says, you are robbing me by not bringing to me what is mine, proves that we do not own it. How can we rob something if we already own it? We can't. To hoard what I own is not robbery. It's just hoardery, if that's a word. So God is saying, you're robbing me. So the very term of robbing me has to indicate that we do not own it or we could not rob it. God is saying that we are stewards of what he has given us. See, everything within your possession ultimately is not yours. It was given as a gift, and we are called to steward it well. Think of it this way. July 21st, 2020. A news report came out on CNN Business, and here was the headline. Former Morgan Stanley financial advisor charged with stealing $6 million from clients. This financial advisor, Michael Carter, was charged with stealing $6 million from various clients that he was dealing with. One of the clients was actually an elderly lady that had set up accounts to provide for her grandchildren's college. And he was stealing from her accounts. According to the Securities and Exchange Commission, they said this, he was using the funds to indulge in a luxury lifestyle. Luxury car, toys, everything in a very large home mortgage. The U.S. Attorney, attorney for the District Court of Maryland said this, and I quote, For over 12 years, Michael Carter perpetrated a brazen scheme that defrauded victim account holders whose investments he was supposed to protect. When his fraud was discovered, Carter, get this, repaid some victims by taking money from other victims' accounts. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, who thinks this up? Who thinks you can get away with this? The SEC claimed that he falsified internal documents in order to conduct dozens of wire transfers from brokerage, from a brokerage client's accounts and failed on his personal accounts. And then he said he sold the securities without the customer's authorization. Allegedly, he had made $1.5 million of unauthorized transferred just from the account of this elderly woman who was providing college for her kids. And then get this, sending nearly $1 million to himself and using some of the remainder to repay the funds he had taken from other clients. It's crazy. See, essentially, instead of stewarding the client's money well, he stole from the client and hoarded it as his own. The funds were not his, but they were. U- he was using them as if they were. He was using other clients' Funds, hear this, to live in luxury, to give him the desires of his hearts, to have all the toys that he wanted, to have a mortgage that he could not afford, everything on someone else's dime. And God is saying, hey Israel, you have done the exact same thing. We have done the exact same thing. See, the purpose of an advisor is to steward someone else's money well. And instead, Michael was stealing their money to use it on himself. See, we and Israel are guilty of the same thing before God. And when I say we, I mean me. (laughs) Many seasons of my life, guilty as charged. Totally guilty. In fact, it could be t- defended in the court of law. Luke is guilty. How so? We often take what is God's and indulge in luxury for ourselves. Act as if all of ours, it's all of ours and we're able to do with it as we wish. It's the exact same thing. We are using God's money to serve ourselves and give us the desires of Of our heart. God is saying this that everything we have is his. It's a gift. It's a result of his faithfulness and not ours. He's saying, your business is his, your job is his, your possessions are his, your money is his. And just because we're in possession of it does not mean that we own it. And when we think we own it, we begin to hoard it. And get this, he's not asking for much. (laughs) He says a minimum of 10% as the tithe, and anything above that is a contribution. But he's saying, bring to me back what is mine. It's just 10%. In fact, I own 100%, and I've given you 100%, and I'm allowing you to keep 90%. All I'm asking is that you bring back 10%. That sounds like a pretty legit deal if you ask. Me, there's no business owner, there's no boss in the world that would give you 90%. God does, and it's all his. And he's chosen to bestow blessing upon blessing and entrust it to us. The problem is this, we view it as ours, and we've already spent over 100% of what comes in. Think about this. There was a study that was done. This is stunning to me. The average American has $3,500 in savings and $90,000 in consumer debt. AKA, we're spending way more money than we're bringing in. (laughs) Therefore, at the end of the day, we have nothing to bring back to God and bring Him what is His because there's nothing left. We've spent it all, it's all gone. See, that which we spend our time and money on reveals who or what we serve and have given our hearts to. Please hear this from God and not me. Because it can be difficult to hear. It's difficult for me to hear as I'm studying it. The beauty of God's word is this is his word and not mine. He knows best. I do not. If you're going to shoot someone, don't shoot me, please. I'm just the messenger. (laughs) But hear this. It's his word and not mine. If you are too overextended to return to him 10% of what he has given you, you are overextended. You're robbing him of what is his. His offer is for us to keep 90. It's a very generous offer. But hear this. If you don't have 10% to bring back to God because your mortgage is too high, you're living above your means. If you don't have 10% to bring because you have too many boat and camper payments, your payments need to be the first to go, not what is God's. And if your next family vacation is going to rob God, you may want to rethink your next family vacation because it's God's. And watch what he does when we're obedient as we're going to get to. He opens the windows of heaven and pour forth blessing until there's no more. See, the tithe is not whatever you feel like bringing, and it's not a number to be negotiated. It's 10% of what God entrusts to us. Hear this. I find this fascinating as I was studying it. According to God, the tithe is not giving. If you can show me somewhere in Scripture where God talks about bringing the tithe, and he says, give the tithe, show me. But everything that I say, he says, bring the tithe. What is the difference between giving And bringing, giving is this, taking what you currently own and transferring ownership to someone else on your account. If I own something and I want to give a gift to my brother, let's say I want to buy him an inReach for hunting. I buy him an inReach, which he actually did for me, so I'll flip it. He bought me an inReach as a gift and he gave it to me. He originally owned it, not me. But he chose to give it to me. He chose to transfer possession from him To me, bringing is this, a motion towards the place from which the action is regarded. Hear this. If God asked us to give the tithe, it would mean that it belonged to us, but he has not. He asked us to bring the tithe. Why bring it? It's very important because God owns it. It's not ours to give. It's ours to bring in return to him because it's his. It's amazing it's not like it's an option it's not like God is like oh if you decide you want to throw a ten in the plate then that's fine God's saying bring to me what is mine and when you bring it watch as I bless when you bring it watch as you have no more need see it's not ours to give to him it's ours to bring back to him And there is a massive, massive difference. Man says, I can't afford to tithe. God says, you can't afford not to bring the tithe. Why? Number two, bringing the tithe opens the windows of heaven. I'm not standing up here preaching this prosperity gospel of, hey, if you will bring God your 10% Everything in your life will be completely blessed. You'll make millions of dollars. Your business will succeed. Your family will be amazing. Everything your heart desires will be given to you because you brought the tithe. That's not what God is saying. Notice how he says there will be no more need. Maybe we need to redefine what need really is. But when we redefine that and we honor God with what he has given us, watch as he blesses all aspects of life not just finances your marriage your spiritual emotional side your joy it's a joy to give it's not a burden it's an absolute joy to be a part of what god is doing he opens the windows of heaven and he says this test me if the god of heaven is asking you to test him it's a pretty Good promise. Because God does not return on His word. He is not, He does not change as we have seen. Here's what test me means give me the opportunity to prove my faithfulness in response to your faith. That's what God means when He says, Test me. He says, Give me the opportunity to prove myself, give me the opportunity to show you that I am faithful. So why can't you afford not to tithe? Because you'll miss out on God pouring upon you his blessing from heaven. That's what he says. If you want to debate me, I mean, come up here. But if if I'm reading the same Bible you're reading, he says it right there, plain as day. It's his word. It's his promise. What an amazing promise. Poor has this idea of a steady stream until there is more in our need. Uh, yeah, human. I was going to bring this illustration. I totally forgot it. So it's not here, I just realized. But think if we had a bowl up here with a pitcher up here. And this bowl was smaller than the pitcher. And I took the pitcher and I poured. And you saw this steady stream of water pouring into this bowl. And it kept filling and filling and filling and filling until it began to overflow because there was no more need in the bowl. That's what God is saying. That's what pouring is. It's not this little trickle, this do doop. In fact, I was in praying this morning in the locker room, and I heard in the back of my ear this drop of water going, doop, 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 doop. And I went in, and I was like, what the heck is leaking? The shower is leaking. I tried to turn off, and it wouldn't turn off, but it was this doop, 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 doop. God is not saying doop, 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 doop. God is saying until there's no more need because he sustains, he fills all of it. And it hinges on obedience to bring to him what is his. Caroline and I have experienced this firsthand in our lives. Our tithe automatically deducts every two weeks. And I get an email every two weeks that says money has gone out. And it reminds me of God's faithfulness to me. It reminds me that it is not mine, it is his. But I've also had seasons where I was totally disobedient. And I gave nothing. Why? Because, well, bills are too tight. I don't have enough money. I'm in seminary. I mean, I'm serving God through my time. And it's amazing to me as I reflect upon my life, the times when I did not bring to God what was his and I just was always in need. I never, we never had enough. We never, and, It was just crazy, and now it's like we're not swimming in money by any means, but I promise you one thing. The first thing to go is not what is God's. It's what I view as luxury. That will be the first to go. What God's is God's, and I will give it to him every time, and I promise you this. We have seen the blessing of God so amazing that I can't even explain, but you won't see it until you test him. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you all the things we've seen because it doesn't matter. Each story is different. Every life is different. But I promise you this, when God says, test me, he means it. And if you test him, watch, and you will not be in need. You may have to redefine need, but you won't be in need. It's how he works. See, God's promising that as a result of your obedience, You will not have everything your heart desires, but you will have everything you need. And everything you need is sufficient to show you the goodness of God. He says, bring it. He says, test him. And if you never test him, you will never experience the blessing he is offering. But when you test him, you will see that bringing the tithe is a joy and not a burden. You will see that you cannot afford not to bring to God what is his because he honors and blesses obedience. See, the impact of your faithfulness does not just impact and bless you, but it blesses those around you for generations to come. Bringing the tithe enables gospel impact as well, for it takes resources to leverage the gospel to a hurting world. God uses the tithe, as we saw in here, to make sure that his house was full. He uses it in the church to advance the gospel. The church does not operate for free. I don't know what you think, but this does not happen for free. And God, thankfully, I will say this, we have a bunch of amazing people here that faithfully give of not just their resources, but their time. And that's the reason it happens. If we don't have resources, we don't operate. And the way that God brings resources by his people being obedient to bring back to him what is his, it's how he's designed it. And part of the blessing of bringing it is to be a part of something that God is moving in, to be a part of something where we can put on a beast feast and see 79 people make professions of faith. That is blessing. You should see it. Someone said a comment, well, why did you guys spend so much money on Beast Feast? Did you know the church actually didn't spend a single dime on Beast Feast because of a bunch of people that were faithful that said, you know what? God's laid this on my heart to donate it or give money. And every penny was donated for the sake of Beast Feast. No money came out of the church's account because God provided for it all. That's how he works. But he uses resources To do it if you've been a part of this church for some time or have been blessed by the work that God is doing here I want you to think on this question and maybe you're just visiting and think upon it where you've been attending or where you've gone and hear this if you have no idea what I'm talking about because you don't even know what this church thing is about or who Jesus is I want to say this The only thing God wants from you, as we'll talk about in a little bit, is your heart. He wants you to bring himself to him and let him change you. Don't worry about the finance side. I don't want your money this morning. It's not the purpose of this whole message is money. The purpose is that we would be a bunch of people that would walk in the blessing of God. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the gospel, it's this, that there's a great God in heaven who knew that we were separated from him. Who knew that we were broken apart from him, and he gave his one and only son to lay him on a cross to be crucified, to be murdered, to bleed out for us to defeat sin and death, because the only way to defeat sin and death was for a perfect sacrifice to be made. That was Jesus. And he said, if you will believe upon me, if you will, if you will believe what I have given you to receive, I will set you free in a moment. So if you're in here this morning, please hear this. Before God wants anything from you, He wants you to receive who He is. He wants you to receive what He has brought to you in the gift of Jesus. But if you've been saved for any amount of time, I want you to think about this question. If the existence of Veneration Church or the church that you have attended fully for a long time depended on your obedience in bringing the tithe, would it exist? And I'm not talking about a money amount. The money amount's arbitrary. God's not concerned with the money amount. He just says, are you being faithful with what I've given you? Are you bringing back to me 10%? Because I will tell you this, if it were not for people who really got this and were being obedient to what God had called them to do, this church would not exist. And we are believing him to do some incredible things in the future that it's going to take resources for. So not only is it a blessing for this church, it's a blessing for us to be a part of what God is doing, to be a part of seeing someone with a broken heart, with a heart of stone being given a heart of flesh, to be a part of God moving in heaven here on earth, and it takes resources to do it. So if you've been coming here for a long time, I just ask you that simple question. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. There is nothing. It's just simply something to consider. That if you are enjoying, if you are loving what God is doing in this place, would it exist if it hinged upon your obedience to what God has called you to do? It's a simple question. Please hear this. The last thing this is, is a sermon guilting you into giving. Trust me. I wish you, if you can't see my heart, I wish you could. That's the furthest thing from it. God provides for his church and he has done so in ways that actually blow my mind in the first year of a church. Every pastor, every board member, every church planner says there is no way a church will be self-sufficient in the first three years of launching. Veneration is completely self-sufficient if we lost all outside funding right now because of the faithfulness of faithful people giving to what God is doing. That is astounding, and our budget is not necessarily small. Thank you for being obedient. So the last thing this is is a sermon guilting you into giving, but rather here it is. It's a sermon pleading with you to be obedient so that you don't miss the blessings of God through bringing your first and your best. Don't miss it. What a shame it would be to go through this whole life and not be obedient or just be obedient. I love... Sometimes in the church, we're like, well, we'll be obedient to that one because that one's easy. And I love what God's word says there, but this one's a little hard. And I'll think about obedience here. I'm not really sure about that one. And this one, honestly, can be that one. I was praying on the way to church this morning, and I was like, man, this is going to be an awkward weekend possibly for someone who has never come to church. And every sermon I've ever heard on tithing, there's always this upfront apology of And I'm sorry that this was your first week, but I promise you next week will be better. And God's like, don't say that. He said, if you say that, you're literally stripping my blessing away from what I want to give to my people. This should be the most amazing sermon ever preached. That if we are obedient, if we bring to God what is his, he will open the windows of heaven and pour forth blessing. And tell what? There is no More need. You want to talk about something to praise God for? That is to praise him for. That he would be that kind of God that would give us 100% and say, just bring back 10 and watch as I do everything with the rest. Watch me, test me. Why aren't you seeing blessing? Maybe you haven't tested him. If you're in this place this morning, I say this, test him. Test him. And when you test him, he shows himself faithful. Bring to him what is his and watch as the rest is blessed. If you bring the first and the best, the rest is blessed. That's what God is saying. It's not ours to live this luxury lifestyle. It's his to offer back to him so that he would use it for the advancement of the gospel. And as we wrap up, I want to say this. If you haven't been bringing the tithe, please do not feel condemned. (laughs) Don't feel that. That's not God. That's the enemy. If you haven't been bringing it, don't feel necessarily guilty. Just use it as a time to thank God that he is calling you to return. The first imperative, God says, return. Just come to me. Just start now. There's no judgment for what you have not done. I'm just asking you to be faithful from here on out to what I've given you and watch and test me and watch if I don't bless your socks off. If you haven't been bringing the tithe, hear this it will take sacrifice. And it may take restructuring your budget if you have one. <laughs> Most Americans don't. It may force you to have to sell some things, to live maybe below your means and not above. You may have to skip a family vacation for a year. You may have to refigure where the money in your business is going. Or you may have to push back some big purchases you're wanting to make. But hear this it is totally and utterly worth it. You cannot outgive God. And I'll even rephrase that to say, not even give. You can't outbring God. While obedience can be difficult, God honors it. And he promises that if you will bring to him what is his, he will bless the rest. Pretty bold promise opening the windows of heaven, if you ask me. You may have to reevaluate what need is, though. But he will not leave you hanging. And hear this, he is good on his word. Sometimes need isn't the next camper boat and toy and being leveraged so much that I don't even have enough money because all of it's going to payments. That's not need. And that's not what God's saying he will honor and bless. But he's saying, if you will come to me and bring to me what is mine, watch as the rest of your life will be blessed and you will have no more need. That's the God that we serve. Test him. So here's the question. If the band wants to come up, will you return and... And why do we bring? Because we have been given. That's the reason we bring. We don't bring out of obligation. We don't bring because we have to or because it makes us feel good or because whatever. We get a tax deduction. We don't bring because of that. We bring because he has given. He has given everything. You know what the biggest thing he's given is? His son. God has literally given everything to us. Not just everything we own. Not just everything we possess. But he has literally given us life. Apart from him, we are destined to separation from him. He has given us everything in the gift of Jesus. That's why we give, that's why we bring to him what is his, is because he has already given, he's laying it all down, and he says, just come to me first with your heart, and trust me, if I have your heart, your possessions will follow. If I don't have your heart, your possessions will go wherever the heck you want them to go. It's amazing how possessions tie our hearts. It's amazing how our unwillingness to bring to God what is his is often because we don't fully grasp and understand who he is. The fact that he has given everything, that he did not have to give anything, but he laid his son on a cross that we might be given life and life to the full. That if we will turn from our old way, if we will return to him, if we will confess our sin and believe in him and believe what he has given us to receive, he will set us free free that is life that is the fullness of joy that is the fullness of bringing is that he has already given so we bring in return and we watch as he uses it and blesses it for the advancement of the gospel and for your good and not your detriment so if you're in here this morning and you don't know this great king hear this, he is pursuing you. He has given everything for you. Will you bring yourself to him and lay yourself at his feet and turn from your old way and turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and say, God, here I am, broken, weary. God, I can't do it on my own. I'm tired of trying to measure up. I cannot do it, God. Will you come and invade my soul? I give you my life, not just as Savior, but as Lord. And when He is Lord, you and I will bring. One of the biggest lies in the American gospel is just believe upon Jesus. And all is good, and you'll be saved, and blah, 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 and give him your money, and he'll give you everything in return, and give him this, and he'll bless you with your hellish desires. He's not saying that. The gospel is this. He can't just be your savior, but when he's your savior, and then he becomes your Lord, that's salvation. Because you lay down your life to him and say, God, my life is no longer my own. It is yours, O king of glory. I give it to you. And when he comes from being your Savior and your Lord, we will bring. That's how it works. Because all of a sudden, Jesus has our heart and our possessions do not. All of a sudden, Jesus has our soul and we realize nothing we have is actually ours to own anyway. We're just stewards of it. God, make me a steward of what you have given me and I will test you in it and watch as you open the windows of heaven. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that your word never returns void. God, I pray this morning, this is the deepest desire of my heart, God, that this would not be a sermon guilting people to give. (laughs) Forget that. God, I have so little concern about money coming to this church as opposed to a church full of people that are living in obedience to God, that are living in obedience to you, that I can't even explain it. It has nothing to do with that, God. It has nothing to do with this guilt trip of tithe. It has everything to do with praying, God, that you would do something in this place so that you would reveal yourself to your people, that we would trust you. And if we're in this place and we've never trusted you, would today be the day? If there's someone in this room that has never trusted you with their life, would today be the day? The day where they turned from their old way and they turned to you and believed upon your finished work to be your, that, they, that you would be their Savior and their Lord. And God, for us in this room that do know you, that are saved, I pray that we would recheck our heart, that we would rebalance our life, God, and that we would bring because you have given. And that you would show yourself faithful, God. That we would be a bunch of people that say, God, I'm testing you. Prove yourself true. Prove yourself faithful, God. And I am excited. I'm not even going to pray that you would respond to that because I already know that you'll respond to that. I'm just excited for what you're going to do with a bunch of people that, that confess you as Lord and bring what is yours and watch as you do everything else. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray it in Jesus' name.